Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's Monday again. Can you believe it? It's a whole new week. We are more than halfway through April. How did this happen? Anyway, I'm so excited that you guys are here with us again today. I appreciate you listening in. And today is an extra special day because you all know how much I love chatting with debut authors. I'm like 40 books into my writing career now, but I get so excited when somebody has their first book because I can remember that cool moment when you're like, oh my gosh, I did it. And that excitement is always fun to share. And I would love for you guys to go check out Jennifer Doopy's new book. It's called The Little French Bridal Shop. And if you haven't read it yet, and you probably haven't met Jennifer yet because this is her first book, so I'm going to read her bio so you can get to know her a little and then I can't wait for you to hear about the book. Okay. Jennifer Dupie grew up on the North Shore of Boston near the seaside communities of Manchester-by-the-Sea and Beverly Farms. She is a graduate of Brown University where she studied under published authors Meredith Steinbach and Carol Masso. I may be mispronouncing those, but it is Monday, so give me a break. <laughs> and received her honors in creative writing. She is an active member of the Grub Street Writing Community in Boston and has published in the Feminist Press. She was a semifinalist for the 2016 James Jones First Novel Competition and a semifinalist for the 2016 Faulkner Wisdom Competition. Jennifer lives just outside of Boston with her family, and her first published novel is The Little French Bridal Shop. She's currently at work on her next novel, and you can find out more about her on her website. I did put a link to her site right there on the Blog Talk site if you're listening live. And if you're listening later, you can click that link anytime, too. She has a great page there about um, how she was inspired to write the book. So you can take a little tour of some cool old houses. And also, I believe she has a newsletter there that you can sign up for as well, so that when she finishes that next novel, you don't miss it. So I don't want to delay any longer. Jennifer, are you there? I'm here, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you could be here. Behind the scenes, everyone, we had a little mix-up the first time, so Jennifer and I have met (laughs) once before, (laughs) and and our days were mixed up. But anyway, I'm so excited that she's here for real today. And Jennifer, you want to tell everybody about the Little French Bridal Shop? Why should they go grab it? Yeah. So the book is set in motion when Larissa Pearl returns to her small seaside hometown upon the death of her great-aunt Ursula. She's in a bit of a funk. You know, she's just lost her job. She's recently broken up with her boyfriend, and she's struggling um, with her mother's failing health. On a whim, she wanders into the local bridal shop and buys a dress, even though she has no groom, and soon word spreads all over the small seaside town that she's getting married. Rather than do anything to dispel the rumor, she perpetuates it, and you know how that goes. Small town chaos ensues, and the story develops from there. (laughs) So I have to ask, because I thought it was so cute that she buys a dress and there's no groom, Um, did the idea come to you first, or did that quirky character come to you first? 
You know, I think the character came to me first. Um, I, I often start writing with an image. I'm a really descriptive imagistic writer. And in this case, it kind of started with a couple images. Um, the house. My, my, my grandmother lived for many years in the seaside town of Beverly Farms, Massachusetts, which is next to Manchester by the Sea, um, the same Manchester by the Sea of the movie that had great fame. And it's just a setting that's really deeply ingrained in my psyche and what I drew on as I kind of created this fictional town and embarked on the opening pages. But in this small town, when I was growing up, I also grew up near this town, and there used to be a bridal shop in the center. So as I sort of envisioned this house up on a hill where um, the house is really almost like a character in the book, um, I sent, I, I kind of had my main character returning to this house, and I had a clear sense of her, and she kind of gets off the train in this small town, and one of the first, well, the first words out of her mouth are, as she wanders by this local bridal shop, I'm never getting married. And, you know, as an author, that's, you know, you're obviously stage directing your characters and kind of putting them into action, but they also take a light on a life of their own. So I sort of Mm -hmm. thought, really, that's a big statement. You know, what if I send you into that bridal shop and see what happens? Are are you still with that statement of I'm never getting married? And, (laughs) you know, I mean, readers will see what happens, but by the end of that first chapter, she's bought the dress. So... (laughs) (laughs) and and, well I don't want to give any spoilers I'm like does she ever get to wear it um I guess you find out when you read the book right yeah you'll find out Mm -hmm. Um, she's sort of intrigued by the dress when she first puts it on um she tries on a number of dresses and begins kind of obsessed with am I ever going to find the right dress even though she's never getting married um and I will say, you know, no spoilers here, but I will say that when I got her back in the dress in the beginning, I knew I'd have to find a way to get her back in the dress by the end. But how she gets back in the dress, there's, you know, there's maybe some mystery there. Right, right. Oh, I love it. And when you were deciding to write this book, I mean, I don't know if readers always know how many times we practice start books before we ever finish one and then getting it published sometimes people don't even get the first book published it's the second or the third was this your first book that you finished that's a great question lisa and i think a wonderful you know talking point for those writers out there this was not the first book i had written um i started my first novel when i was 19 i was a Let's see, I was in my second semester freshman year of college, and I'd written this small short story, and I had this kind of voluptuous Greek teacher who was the, the head of the class, and she sort of said, oh, you just need to turn this into a novel, and the class agreed. And so <laughs> I, I spent this, <laughs> I spent like four years trying to make it into a novel, and um, you know, of course, I'd read novels all my life. I'd always been a reader. I'd always wanted to be a writer. But I wandered a lot trying to turn this short story into a novel. And I really taught myself a lot about how to do it. Um, but, you know, I didn't get that one published. I wrote another one. I didn't get that one published. Um, and um, I wrote another one and then this one. And so so it really takes a lot of persistence and a lot of teaching yourself um, how to write it. And of course, you know, I had a lot of things going on in those years. So it wasn't like I was 
solely focused on the novel. Um, I was working and starting my first job out of college, et cetera. But quite a bit of time had, had gone by, you know. Let's put it this way. I'm not 19 anymore. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's funny. I was lucky enough that I got to meet Ray Bradbury a few times before he died. And he mm. used to talk about that he considered writing to be one of the toughest of the arts because he said you are taught in school to write a sentence that does not make you a storyteller. And so he said you write a whole novel and you finish and you think it's ready to get published. He said, but you're just learning to be a storyteller. It's different, you know, writing sentences. And so I think sometimes people don't realize how many books it might take you to become that storyteller, to find your your voice and all that kind of thing before your first book actually gets published. So even though this is like your debut novel, it's probably not your first one. And so, you know, sometimes people don't realize that and that journey is really something It builds you into, you know, who you'll be as an author. And when you were working on this book, what was your journey like to publication? I mean, it sounds like you entered some contests and, and did really well. Were, that with, were they with this book? Yeah, one of them was with this book, and one of them was with the books that I wrote before this one, which, you know, candidly, I'm working on. Um, I still think it, it has a future out there, so I'm sort of revamping it. But you're absolutely right. So w when I was younger, um, you know, I had a flair for creative writing. I think I've, I've always had a flair for descriptive writing. But that you're right. That was putting sentences together. And I could write really beautiful sentences, beautiful paragraphs. But learning to craft the story, the arc of the story, learning how to create right. suspense, learning how to uh, make sure each of your scenes leads to the next scene. There's like a domino effect of like this leads to that, leads to that, leads to that, to create the momentum and the pacing of a story. That's a whole other thing. Um, and with this book, you know, there was something about it that meshed from the very beginning. And, you know, who's to say, hopefully that was because I had spent years developing my craft. But there was also right. just something kind of, I don't know, synergistic about it, where I, I started off that first chapter. I, I had my main character in the bridal shop. Um, but but then as I worked on it, I had a really strong sense of the structure of it. I didn't have sort of all of the the picture filled in, but I had a sense of how to build it, you know, what the building blocks would be. And because of that, um, I think just I, I thought of it a lot every day, and I kind of moments would occur to me in my everyday life when I was kind of doing my normal job, taking care of the kids, doing cooking, I would think, oh, you know, this is what needs to happen, and oh, that works so perfectly, you know. So, so it really meshed in a very nice way from the beginning, um, and um, I, I found my agent, I, I, I was working on that other book, and I was pitching that book, and he, did, he, he asked for an exclusive for it, um, a one-week exclusive. Um, and he ultimately passed on it, but he said, you know, what else are you working on? And I had just started this book. And, and from there, it, the, the process went fairly smoothly, really. Yeah, that's so cool. And I'm glad you haven't given up on that other book because sometimes, <laughs> you know, they, just one little tweak and it all comes together. Um, and when you were writing this one, I, I know that I'm, I'm a very, um, 
they call them plotters and pantsers, but I, I usually <laughs> know kind of what the end's going to be, and I have a great beginning scene, and I don't know how I'm going to get there because for me it's all about the surprises as I go. But I know my friends who are big plotters also hit big surprises, you know, in their books where they're like, well, this wasn't what the plan, but I think this will work. Did you have any big surprises when you were writing this book that you were like, oh, my gosh, why'd she do that? Or, you know, did you have a surprise? Yeah, let me think. You know, so I I historically have been very much a panther, you know, similar to you. I kind of want to go where the words take me and, and right by the seat of my pants. That's where the panther term comes from. But for this right. book, I became much more, right, much more of a plotter. Um, but it was a bit, it was really a combo. I'm not, I'm not, certainly not full on a plotter. Um, and, um you know, I'd say the ending, I had a sense of the ending, and again, I don't want to give any spoilers here, but I had a sense of, of kind of the shape of the ending. But the way that the ending came to be is a bit of a surprise, and I actually think it will be for readers as well in, in, a, in a fun, kind of hopeful, positive way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love that. And it's, it's scary as a writer to have the ending suddenly be not what you expected, but it's almost <laughs> always better than what you planned. <laughs> so it's, absolutely. it's usually yes, a happy absolutely. surprise. <laughs> yep, I agree completely. So because this was like the French bridal shop, is have you have you been to France? Was there a reason that you made it, you know, like a European type bridal shop or is that just yeah, you know, so I have I have been to France. Actually, in 2019, I was last in France. My husband and I were lucky enough to have planned a um, trip with our yeah, kids. Yeah, you got there just in time. To, oh, exactly. And we, we were there for two weeks, which is, you know, longer wow. than we might normally plan a trip, but we figured we were going overseas. And so we were in Paris for a couple of days, and then we were in um, a little bit more south towards the – kind of Alp region, um, and it was beautiful. It was a wonderful trip. Um, and But before then, I had been um, several times to France. Um, the bridal shop, the original name of the bridal shop was French Bridals, and this was in reference to um, the original shop that I knew from, from when I grew up there with French Bridals. Um, it was this little bridal shop in this little small seaside downtown. And, in, you know, I, I remembered it. I, I think I shopped for my junior prom dress there, right? So it was kind of in my mm-hmm. psyche. And I just named it French Bridals in tribute to that shop. And then oh, okay. when, it moved, when the book moved from sort of, um, I want to say sort of me stage, the sort of the writer stage, right, where you – you own the book, and then when you when you find an editor and a publisher, it becomes you know not just your book, and, and even then when it goes out to the world, it becomes sort of um, much more of a public book. But my my editor um, suggested the name of the little French bridal shop to kind of just just give it a little bit more cachet, you know, give it a little bit more of a a tone. And it's funny that. Um, you know, one of the themes of the book is Larissa is engaged in these deceptions. And the shop itself, that the title is, is, is almost a deception. And, and one of the lines in the shop, um, you know, Larissa goes into it and, and sees the shopkeeper, who she knows, because this is a small town. And she says, oh, are, are the gowns French? You know, is that why it's called the Little French Bridal Shop? And she said, oh, no, no, that's just a gimmick to get people in the shop. So <laughs> the title is almost in a way like reflective of that, right? Right, right. So of the the themes of the book, um, 
it it sounds like part of the book is about lying to yourself. I, you know, are there, are there themes that run through the book that you feel strongly about? Yeah, no, I do. So I, I really feel like the theme of loss of identity is a strong theme. So, right. So there's mm-hmm. deception and there's, um, yeah, there's, there's sort of, self-deception and, and, and actively deceiving the people around you or, or, or even sort of playing into this um, idea of, of improv, of sort of like going with sort of the pretend. Um, but the theme of loss of self is one that emerged early on. So early on in the book, Larissa um, takes a crowbar to this wallpaper that's in the dining room in in the book. And she does this, she's in a state of sort of agitation. She's not quite herself. And so she's acting, um, she she hasn't been acting like herself lately. And she's like a little bit of ashamed of this person she's become. So she's, she's, she's tearing into the wallpaper. She's telling people lies and she's thinking, when did I become this person? When did I become like so far from this person I sort of thought I wanted to be? And she realizes that she's diverged from this person in part because of the impact of her mother's illness. Um, She's always thought of her mother as as one of these beacons in her life, one of the coordinates by which she she defines herself. And she she sort of thinks like, you know, what if her mother ceases to exist, then, then who is she? And this was a state that I, I kind of recognized as it was one that I really deeply felt when I was um, caring for my mother uh, who was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 22 and then, you know, died less than 18 months later when I was 24. Um, oh, I'm sorry. And, you know, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, and it was a role, it was a time of just deep sort of confusion and loss of self in my life. And, um I wanted to channel these feelings. You know, I, I had just graduated from college. I was just starting my first job, and suddenly I was thrust into this role of attending doctor's visits and helping her make treatment decisions. My parents were divorced, so I was in this this place of being the caretaker. And, of course, I right. wanted to be there for her. I wanted to help. I, I was very dutiful. Mm-hmm. I went to these things. But the feeling of the reversal of this child-parent relationship was, is very particular. It's very severe, when, and it's very disorienting. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to explore this question of, you know, as I said, when one of the beacons by which we define ourselves is no longer there, then who are we? And I wanted to illuminate some things around that question. Yeah, that that's really a deep, you know, I, I um, two years ago I went through a similar thing with, my mom, um, only it was lung cancer and mm, she had ugh, had cancer so when I was a kid and, and recovered and was cancer free for 30 years. We all thought cancer's wow. in our rearview mirror. And then suddenly it came back. And of course, by that time, nobody had, nobody, she never smoked and anyway, ends up with yeah, this stage yeah. four cancer diagnosis and I'm in cancer doctors, we're going to all these treatments and, and I can completely relate to that, that big switch where suddenly, you know, suddenly this person who cared for you your whole life and you're taking care of them and it does, um, it does change you, you, you know, it's just, it's, it is very disorienting. So it's cool that you were able to pull um, that into this book where she's also having the changes of, you know, her relationship is over and, you know, am I ever going to get married and that kind of thing because you've lost your base 
you know, when your mom, yeah, it's like the rug gets ripped out from under you and you have to figure out how, (laughs) what kind of grown up am I going to (laughs) be? Exactly. Exactly. So I've been asking everyone who comes on the show what it has been like writing during the pandemic, because for many of us, um, you know, some people like to people watch when they write and they go write at a coffee shop or, or something like that, or just even the act of trying to be creative while the world's on fire around. Um, everybody's found their own coping mechanism. And then I've got some friends who are like, I've trained for this my whole life because they just right in their cave. Um, So how has it been for you? You know, well, first off, let me just say that I feel incredibly lucky to, to have my home, my family, my job and my health, you know, COVID has been really challenging. um, But I know that many others have been impacted much more greatly. And so um, it's been tough, but, but I try to, I try to keep that kind of silver lining part of it in my head. And there have actually been some silver linings, you know, um, I I don't tend to work in coffee shops, although I do now and then. But usually I work in my office, and usually I um, I, I like lots of peace and quiet. So the house has been a little less peaceful and a little less quiet because you know kids are home, et cetera. My <laughs> yeah, everybody's home. home. Everyone's yeah. home. You know, I'm a little excited of everyone home. Um, but um, it, it's it's been okay. You know, um, I'd say for the first half of the pandemic. I I found it really hard to write. So I want to say March to like July. Um yeah. and also really hard to read. You know, I'm an avid reader. True. And I just, yeah. I just found it really hard because we were just sort of, you know, holding our breath, you know, and, and reading the mm-hmm. news every day. And I I wouldn't say I was like doom scrolling per se, but it was hard almost not to like I, I was trying to actually right. sort of read online news every day to sort of figure out, well, what do we know? What do we not know? But then there, there was so much that was sort of hard to read and that would, and, and there's so much that was unknown. That it was hard to like read the news and feel like assured by it. Like you know? knew anything. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So um, it, it's, it's taken me a, a little while to get back to a routine, but my routine is impacted anyway in the sense that I, I work full time, and so I don't have a lot of time during the week. Um, I do try to spend um, a little bit every day on it. So I sort of call it like my brick by brick, bead by bead approach. Where during the week my bar is really low because I, I have full time job and I'm so you know figuring out kids schedules, etc. So I try right. to read it to just familiarize myself with it. And if I can add a brick or a bead, meaning a sentence, a couple sentences, a paragraph, you know, a page would be awesome, then I feel really right. glad and, and happy. On the weekends, I get a little bit more time. So, you know, particularly Saturday mornings, um, I, can, I can put in more of like a three to four hour jaunt to kind of really push things forward. And, and that's, that's how it goes, you know. Um, with COVID, you know, I was really looking forward to hosting in-person events. You know, it's my first book. I was like, you have sort of this vision of like, I got to be there signing books and meeting fans and my family and my right. friends. <laughs> but, you know, I am actually really uplifted by the many ways in which bookstores and readers have risen to the challenge. You know, people have gone mm-hmm. online, they're on Zoom events, they're on podcasts. So 
Um, and I'm excited that actually people near and far can join these events, not just those who live nearby. So silver linings. Exactly. Yeah, you're very good at the silver lining thing, by the way. I'm so impressed. <laughs> but I do think, I do think as an author, it has been so, one of the, one of the silver linings, I guess, of the pandemic is that we've all learned how to video conference. And so I've done these book events and spoken to groups and stuff all through Zoom, which means that people who can't afford to travel to a book conference or to, you know, an event, they can still participate. And I think that's so cool. So I hope that when the pandemic is over, that those, um, those will still be available, I hope. Um, because, oh, I hope so. like, even yeah. if you're doing a live event, how cool would it be to also be having the live event on Zoom for the people who couldn't go? I, I just think that has been a really great way for everybody to connect, even though we're socially distancing and we can't connect. <laughs> that has yes, been nice. I totally agree. Yep. <laughs> so what is next for you? What are you working on now? Yeah, so I think I mentioned that I have two projects in the works at the moment. One of them is really still gestating, you know, um, and so I won't I won't talk about it yet because I, I don't quite have my hooks in it. You know, I tend to do right. that early on where I have um, lots of images, sometimes phrases. I have a sense of the characters. I, I'll make lists of words that I feel like relate to this world, but I, I'm not, like, quite ready to dig into the plot part of it. So that's the stage I'm at with that book. But then the other person, other book is, it's a first person narration told from the perspective of a seven year old girl. So that's a challenge because it's, it's a young narrator and it's, it's in first person. Um, and her mother is pregnant and the entire family is eagerly awaiting the birth of this new baby girl. But the story is set in motion when a strange man arrives at the end of the driveway and claims that that baby could be his. Uh-oh. Oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mom. Yeah. Exactly. So. And will the whole book be told from the seven-year-old's perspective? I think so. I'm not 100% sure okay. yet. I've, I've toyed with the idea of um, there's a mother and a grandmother in this book as well. Um, I may switch to another perspective. I just haven't decided yet. Wow. Okay, but this this won't be a a middle grade book. It will be for adults, right? Just with the young narrator. I think it will be for adults. You know, uh, I'll okay. leave that I guess up to the marketers. You know, because they they always right. have their sense on these things. But right now, I feel like it's an adult book. I do, or it could maybe span some genres a little bit. You know, it could it could write it could span. Mm-hmm. Very but it's cool. Certainly not Are grade. your yeah. Are are your kids um, young enough that you can try to see the world through their eyes, or are you trying to remember <laughs> back? <laughs> Great question. So guess what? I have a seven-year-old. <laughs> there <laughs> we go. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> because so I, I, I would think that would be really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It, yeah. And actually, in prior drafts of this book, obviously, I didn't have a seven-year-old because I started writing it a while ago. So now that she's seven, yeah, I am sort of like channeling, you know, her perspective. <laughs> and then my other kids are much older. I have three stepkids who are 20, 18, and 16, so they're much older. But still, you know, I've seen them through the years, right? When I when I became their stepmother, the youngest one was six. And so, you know, okay. I can channel kind of some of his experiences as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very cool. 
Well, um, I want to squeeze in just one more question that's very important because you wrote a book about a wedding shop. Um, do you watch the wedding <laughs> shows? Do you watch Yes to the Dress and Four Weddings where the brides all rate their <laughs> their weddings? And are you into all those things? You know, I don't watch them regularly. I have watched them now and then, but I find them, they're kind of stressful in some ways. <laughs> some of them are like... <laughs> You know, sometimes you get you through lots of crying. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny that you asked me about France. There was one we were watching in France, so not only was it like not in English, so you know, and I can I can get by on like some French, but it's not everything was illuminated to me. But there are these brides who, you know, they're all. Uh, you know, about to get married, and then they go and attend each other's weddings, and then they critique each other's weddings. And I thought yes. that was so funny, right? Because they're they're going and they're like, oh, this is so wonderful, this is so beautiful. And then they're interviewed later, and they're like, oh, her decorations were the terrible. Food was like, awful. What was that dress? The food was <laughs> awful. And you're like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this to each other. I mean, it's entertaining yeah. for sure, but I I just don't think I can kind of stomach it on a regular basis but it's a great question yes <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I, my, do, I do like I was gonna say I just I do like critiquing them for myself I just don't want to be public about it like yeah I am sort of thinking right. like I didn't like that dress or you know I have no idea what the food was like but you know <laughs> right right yeah all those things are things you go home and talk about in private but <laughs> you're doing exactly. it right on camera <laughs> yeah exactly I that would be challenging for me. Yes. Well, we are rapidly running out of time, but I know this is your first book, but are you building a newsletter? Are you on social media? How can readers get in touch with you so that they don't miss the second book? Yeah, no, great question. So go to my website. I do have a newsletter. In fact, I just sent one out. Um, I, I, ha I had the wonderful news to announce that the Little French Bridal Shop was selected as Good Housekeeping's April Book of the Month pick. So that was super oh, exciting. Oh, congratulations. Very Thank exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah. And so on my website, jenniferdupee.com, you'll find the um, form to sign up for my newsletter. And I'd love for all of you to join so I can keep you up to date. Yeah, definitely go do that. And uh, keep us posted, too. When your next book comes out, you'll have to come back on. Oh, I'd love to, Lisa. It would be such a pleasure. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks so much for being here, Jennifer. Talk to you later. Thanks so much for having me. Take good care. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.